2: Ethiopian is going to go back down to Ethiopia. So he's going to take the interior here along the Mediterranean coast. He's going to go down into Egypt and then go down south to Ethiopia. And it tells us why he's on the road. It says, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 28, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it.
1: Are you in tune enough with the Spirit to know when God is telling you to wait or to go? Today, Pastor Gary will walk through Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian in Acts 8. Philip was faithfully following the Lord's leading because God had a plan for this man's life. We never know when the Lord might want to use us to change the course of someone else's life, which is why it is so important to daily ask for the Spirit's direction in our own life. How can you be more attentive to God's callings today? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts, chapter 8, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: The idea that a person sometimes thinks, when I got saved, I got all of the Holy Spirit, right? No, that isn't isn't necessarily true. When you get saved, you get the indwelling of the Spirit. But that overflowing, baptizing work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus even said in Acts chapter 1, wait in Jerusalem for the gift my father promised for John baptized with water, but I baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And he talks about how you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He says that to his own disciples, but he had breathed on them in John chapter 20 and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But in Acts 1, he's saying you wait in jerusalem for the gift my father promised so there is a difference between the indwelling of the spirit and the overflowing of the spirit and that overflowing work comes simply by faith luke 11 verses 11 12 and 13 jesus said if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will my father in heaven give the holy spirit to them that ask So ask for that overflowing, baptizing work of God's Spirit, that powerful work of God in the life of a believer to overflowing. Peter and John get to Samaria, and here they are. Many believe they've even been water baptized. But it says that they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon, there's that word, We talked about how the Holy Spirit is with you, leading you to Christ, in you when you get saved, and then upon you when that powerful baptizing work of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been water baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Peter and John placed their hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, we got to be careful of formulas. They do place their hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. But just wait, because when we get to Acts chapter 10 the household of Cornelius received the Holy Spirit and nobody lays hands on them. So don't box yourself in. You know, I hear people, some of my card carrying charismatic friends, and I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit too, but I've had disagreements with some of my friends. They're like, we got to lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. No, you don't. Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and his whole house. Nobody touched him. Well, you have to speak in tongues. No, you don't. In Acts chapter 10, they did speak in tongues. Not here in Acts chapter eight. Be careful of the formulas. Be careful of boxing God into a little pigeonhole and saying this is what God always does and this is the way that he does it, okay? You see here in Acts 8, they laid hands. There's no mention of anybody speaking in tongues. Acts 10, they don't lay hands. There is mentioning of speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 2, there's no mention of the laying on of hands. But they did speak in tongues. So there there are times... When you, you, you will see the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it is not by this formula. And so here, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and verse 18 says that when Simon, this is the sorcerer turned Christian, saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered money and said... Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you were full of bitterness and captive to sin. Now, this is where it gets a little controversial because some will read this and say, Simon was never really a believer in the earlier verses when he heard the message preached through Philip. Because right here, he's saying something so evil. What was so evil about his request? He wanted to profit off of the giving of the Holy Spirit. He saw the power of the Holy Spirit. However, that was manifest. And he wanted that power because he was a guy who was used to, to wowing the crowd with power. Only now he, he's, he sees that this is a, a power from God, whereas before he was operating under a different power. And so he offers to pay for it. Now, Peter who no doubt has the gift of discernment, because we saw that back in chapter five when Ananias and Sapphira come and say, yeah, this is the total price we, we're bringing to you for the sale of our property. He's like, no, it's not. Boom, boom, Holy Spirit kills him, all right? Slain in the spirit, literally, Acts five. But Peter, right there, he discerns with Ananias and Sapphira, and he's discerning here with Simon. You, you have evil intent. You have evil intent. Now, I would probably, without discernment, think, the guy's been a Christian, what, maybe a week, two? However long it took for John and Peter to get to Samaria, maybe even a few days. Why don't we cut the guy a break? There's a lot of dumb things that new Christians say that they're not aware of yet, but apparently it's more than that because Peter exposes it for us. This guy's got evil intent. So this is where some people say he was never really saved, he's not really a believer, and Peter calls him out. And other people would say, and this is where I tend to lean, that he really was saved, but he's still, he's still working out some, some of the old man. Can anybody understand that? All right, You can be saved and still have to work on the old man or the old woman who tries to creep up every once in a while. It's called the flesh. The reason I give him the benefit of the doubt was because of what verse 13 said. Simon himself believed and was baptized. So you know, I give him the benefit of the doubt, but that he is, you know, a guy who's wrestling with his own, the old man. And and that doesn't take anything away from Peter's discernment. I I believe, obviously, Peter's discernment was calling him out on this. But I would just disagree with those who say, see, Simon was never really believed, and, and that's what Peter called out. No, no, no. I think Simon was believed when Peter called out the old man that was still there in Simon. Because look at the humility that follows here. Verse 24, And then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. He's like, he took it seriously. He's like, I don't, I don't want this. could you please pray for me? So I see him as kind of a young, naive guy who's come out of a life of the occult, and he's still fascinated by the power, but he has to understand the proper use of the power and the proper perspective of the power, and this isn't, this isn't a toy, this isn't a game, and this isn't something you can buy and sell. And then in verse 25, when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Well, we're not done with Philip. Keep reading. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, this is interesting here because at some point here, an angel appears to Philip, speaks to him, said to him, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians. He's referred to here a few times as a eunuch. Please understand that that was typical. If you served in a king's palace, uh, you were made a eunuch so that there was never the potential that you would sleep with the queen. And that your seed would be mixed with the royal blood. So he's an Ethiopian official who was made a eunuch because he's in this important office in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And he's on this road... And Philip is going to meet him on the same road, and they're they're going the same direction. This Ethiopian is going to go back down to Ethiopia, so he's going to take the interior here along the Mediterranean coast, he's going to go down into Egypt, and then go down south to Ethiopia, and it tells us why he's on the road. It says, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, verse 28, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay, so imagine the scene. You have this this Ethiopian official. He is, you know, he's in his chariot Uh, because he's an important guy. There's probably an entourage traveling with him. And, um, And the fact that he has his own personal scroll reading Isaiah tells us this guy, This guy's very wealthy, or at least came with a lot of money from Queen Candace, because you don't typically get your own. You know, we we take for granted. You came here tonight with your Bible. We're handing out Bibles. so You have scripture on your lap. Back in that day, there was a scroll in the temple. There was a scroll in the synagogue. You didn't get your own personal scrolls. The fact that he's paid for this is his own personal scroll that some scribes have transcribed for him, so he has his own part of scripture here, and he's reading it. He's reading it in this chariot here. And the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go to the chariot and, uh, and stay near it. Sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't give us the whole picture at once. Holy Spirit will just bear witness in our hearts about a little part of the picture. I want you to to just go here. I want you to just do this. He doesn't often give us a whole picture. You know why I think so? Because I think if if you look back in your life, if God had told you everything that was going to happen, would you have been able to handle it? So sometimes God knows, okay, you, you only need a little bit of information at a time just so that you can handle a little bit. And just be faithful to do this little part, and then I'll show you the rest. So Philip's like, okay, I'm just supposed to go stand next to the chariot. What next, God? All right, and God makes it, makes it clear to him as the situation unfolds. So, so here, here he goes here. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you were reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So, you know, at that moment, you know, the beep, 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 you know, every light is going off on your dashboard. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you get on a flight and you're going somewhere and, you, and you're like, oh, you know, you've had, a, you've had a long business trip and you're like, I just want to go home. I just want to get in my own bed. I don't want to talk to another soul. I don't want to have any interaction, any, any little happy talk. Oh God, please, whoever sits next to me in the plane here, please let it just be a nun from Cleveland. You know, you're just, you're just imagining just let her sit there and thumb her rosary beads and leave me alone. You know, I just want some nice sweet person. I don't want to talk. And then some, some loud guy sits down next to you. He's, he's slugging down a few before you get off the tarmac and he turns to you and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm being, you know, so gruff. I, I've just had a hard day and I, I found out that, that my wife has cancer. And then All of a sudden, you realize, this is the guy that I'm supposed to share Christ with and love on. And it's just being faithful in that situation as as it unfolds. And Philip is being faithful here. Okay, God, you told me to stand next to the chariot. All right. And then this guy's like, you know what? I'm I'm reading this scroll here of Isaiah, but I don't have anybody to help me understand what it means. Philip's like, okay. All right, now. Let me just, can I climb up in the chariot with you? Would you mind if I climb up in the chariot with you and explain this to you? Sure, you can explain it? Yes, I can explain it to you. And so in verse 31, when, when he says, how can I? He says, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. Look, look at this. This is from Isaiah 50, 53. Isn't this like a God thing, right? He was led like a, like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. It's like, yeah, let me explain this to you. The lamb in that story, it's not Isaiah. The lamb in that story is Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for your sins. And he explains all this to this guy. This is a a God providential appointment. And as the Ethiopian guy hears this, notice what, what it says here in verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Now, if you'll notice, right at the end of that question, there's a footnote in your NIV Bibles. The NIV, as a footnote, adds verse 37. Because if you notice in the NIV, it goes from verse 36 to verse 38. You're like, what happened to verse 37? King James has this verse. And really, this is just a long-standing dispute between when, when scholars looked at a bunch of ancient manuscripts and many of them had this verse, King James opted to include it. Some of them didn't have this verse, so NIV scholars erred on the side of being conservative about it and basically said, well, not all the manuscripts have it, so we'll we'll take it out. So it... That's really just an interpretation of the ancient manuscripts, and that was a a real simple summary of what the debate is about it. But basically, when you, I'm going to read to you what the footnote says because I think it should be included. I think the King James Bible included it for a good reason because it is in many of the ancient manuscripts. If it doesn't happen to be in some of them, uh, that could have been simply a copyist error. But here's what verse 37 says. Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. Because he said, why shouldn't I be baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It Does not really change anything from the story? Only in the sense that we can infer if he's going to be water baptized, he must have been a believer. But verse 37 that is omitted that King James has tells us clearly he did receive Jesus Christ. Either way, we see that he's a believer here because he's going to get water baptized. And so verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water... Notice that they went down into the water. Sorry to offend you Presbyterians, but that's why we actually practice immersion. Because you have to look at different passages in the Bible. And, you know, we don't divide over things like this because it's not a salvation issue, right? But, you know, Presbyterians and and the tradition I grew up in, Methodists by and large, you would only get sprinkled. But when you look at passages like this, and it talks about how they went down into the water... It's really more biblical evidence for immersion. Go down into the water. So that's why we practice immersion here, by the way. So they they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotos. That's the Greek name for Ashdod. It's a Philistine city there in in the Gaza area. And traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. What happened? What happened? This is kind of a freaky passage. This is like beam me up Scotty moment. This is what happened right there. But all of a sudden Philip is there. And the next moment he is just miraculously transported to another city. This is a very unusual and really the only time we see it here in the Bible. But it happened. God just supernaturally transported him like that from one spot to the next. But notice, if you will, the Ethiopian became a believer, was water baptized. Is water baptism a requirement for salvation? No, it is not. You don't add anything to faith by grace alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But water baptism is something that Christ told us we should do to identify with his finished work. So we go under the water to identify with the death and burial of Jesus. We come up out of the water to identify our lives as resurrected from the dead, a new life changed through the grace and power of Jesus Christ, living a new life for his glory. This guy comes up out of the water, and Philip is gone. And this guy is probably totally bewildered, and on the way he goes to Ethiopia. Now, interesting point, point. Then, then we, we got to wrap this up for tonight. But here's, here's the interesting thing. There is a large Jewish population in Ethiopia that in 1991 was rescued on this incredible secretive mission that was initiated by the United States under then-President George H.W. Bush who worked with the Israelis and the Israelis are really the ones who ended up carrying it out but, but this was part by the aid of the United States where during the, during the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, there was strife and there was civil war and rebels had taken over the leadership of Ethiopia. There's a large contingency of Ethiopian Jews that's in Ethiopia at the time that some believe was the direct result of this guy going back to Ethiopia and people became proselytes to Judaism, but also believers in Jesus Christ. Now there's and, and it is historically called um, Beit Israel, that, that there's the house of Israel, there are Jews within Ethiopia. Some think that the Jewish population in Ethiopia was the result of the tribe of Dan that migrated there. Others think even before that, that when King Solomon slept with the Queen of Sheba, that her descendants, but I think Queen of Sheba was more Saudi Arabia. Here's what we do know. There was a large group of Ethiopians that in 1991, the Israeli government took all the seats out of 35 El Al Boeing 747 planes, along with uh, several uh, C-130 military planes, took all the seats out of those planes, 35 in all, and made a secret Mission to rescue Ethiopian Jews from Ethiopia. Landed in Ethiopia. And with all the seats taken out of Boeing 747s and C-130s, they crammed in 14,000 Ethiopians. The mission was deemed Operation Solomon to save these Ethiopians from civil war and strife when the rebels took over. And they transported, and still today on the record books, 1,122 Ethiopians got on one plane. One Boeing seven forty seven, but all total, four, more than fourteen thousand were rescued and transplanted back to Israel. Today, when you go to Israel, you can see Ethiopians railing, wearing Israeli armies and um, and who are Jews who trace their lineage back to, if not this story, even before that. And the rescue mission was an incredible mission to bring Ethiopians back to their homeland. Um, this guy could have been part of the, that Jewish population in Ethiopia that, uh, that began to grow as a result of his conversion and his belief in Christ. Um, I remember several years ago uh, when we were in Israel and I was doing baptisms for our group. There was this guy who came up to me and said would you baptize me and he, and he was with some other people but I guess they didn't have a pastor or something and he was and I said where are you from he said I'm from Ethiopia I said are you a believer he says I'm a believer in Jesus Christ yes I just want to be baptized so so it, usually when people see me baptizing our crowd people people also come to be baptized so you know it's a wonderful thing to see but I baptized this guy um there at the end uh, at the end of the time that we were baptizing our group and uh, just a wonderful thing to think about how this one guy and the influence that he had perhaps for his whole nation that even today we see the fruit of in Israel and beyond
1: That's all for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection What are some things you've taken away from the messages here in Acts? Would you let us know? You can get in touch with us by sending an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. While you're sharing what you've learned, feel free to send us a prayer request so we can know how to be praying for our listeners. That email again is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Our radio ministry is an outpouring of what's going on here at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary teaches every Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. To learn more about who we are, go to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so happy that you're part of our listening audience, and we'd be delighted to meet you and hear your faith journey. Like so many of the people mentioned in Acts, there's much transformation that happens in a person's heart when they seek to follow after God. We hope that's the case for you, too. All that to say, we hope you'll continue to tune in to these messages and keep growing as you dig into the book of Acts with us. We'll be right here, same time, same place, at Cornerstone Connection.
2: that you got no place to go but still you know but still you know. you're not alone